0: This morning, we're continuing our Advent sermon series where we've been asking the question, who's coming for Christmas? And of course, we know the answer is Jesus, but even more, we're asking who is this Jesus and how can we be prepared for his arrival? Because who someone is makes a difference in how we prepare, doesn't it? Right, If you're preparing for your grandmother to come, that has one set of expectations and rules and decorum that you follow compared to if you were hosting a sorority sister or a fraternity brother from college. You'd make different types of preparations if you were hosting young children compared to if you were hosting older adults. Right, Who is coming is a really important question because it changes how we prepare. And so in this series, we're particularly looking at how Jesus comes to us as the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. And I don't know about you, but for some reason this week, as I started thinking about Jesus, prophet, priest, and king, it started having some jokes go through my head, right? Like a priest, a pastor, and a rabbi walk into a bar. Yeah, I saw some of you. Yeah, I'm not going to tell any of those, but it kind of has that feel, right? Doesn't it? All right, maybe just one. So a priest... A pastor and a rabbit walk into a blood bank. And the nurse says to the rabbit, what blood type are you? And the rabbit says, I'm probably a type O. Typo? Typo? Yeah, you'll get there. It's all right. Yeah, the groans are real. I mean, it's a a dad joke. Yeah, okay. All right, we just had to get that out of the way with. So we're thinking together about what it means that Jesus is our Prophet, our priest, and our king. These are the three offices that God gave to make life work the way it's supposed to. The three servants, the three offices that make society in God's kingdom, God's society be as God intended. And as these three follow God's lead and lead well, the life of God's people flourishes. And so, Jesus comes to us, not just as a prophet, priest, and king, but the prophet, priest, and king. Last week, we looked at how he's a prophet, the great revealer of God's truth. And this week, we're going to look at how Jesus is the priest. Before we jump into that, I just want to acknowledge that each of us has been influenced by a variety of backgrounds, depictions, and experiences when we think about the office of priest. right? Some, some of us may have a picture of a priest as a somewhat, maybe somewhat jolly, well-intended, but perhaps even inept person. It's a pretty common depiction in our culture. Maybe for you, you've got a, a feeling or a thought about a priest as harsh or angry and judgmental Maybe you have a sense that a priest is really quite rigid and more interested in tradition than anything else. You may think of a variety of scandals that have happened over the years. And so, thinking about Jesus as priest, I just want to acknowledge we all bring some stuff to the table. That might cloud our understanding of who he is. And I want to encourage you this morning to try to put aside that experience, those depictions, and allow the Spirit to speak to you to the best of your ability. Allow him to speak to what it means that Jesus is the ultimate, the fulfillment of the priesthood. So we're going to jump into this through Hebrews chapter 4. Starting in verse 13, if you'd like, you can follow along on the screen, but let's listen for God's word as he speaks to us this morning. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, "'You are my son. Today I have become your father.' And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray as we move into this together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, the gift of your spirit, which helps us receive and interpret and respond to your word. May you not just reveal truth, but help us, give us the grace to receive the truth you have for us this morning that we can prepare to encounter you. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the prophet, as we talked about last week, is the revealer of truth, the mouthpiece of God speaking to the people on behalf of God. The priest, as we're talking about this week, speaks to God on behalf of the people. This is actually what priests throughout history have really done, regardless of the religious background or system. They all have the same essential function. They go into the place where God is said to be present, and they speak and they act before this God on behalf of the people so that God will react graciously toward them. And so, it would take different forms depending on that particular religious system and what it seemed that that God demanded. But they all had the same essential role, to go in to represent the people before God. And the same was true among the people of God as we see in the Jewish scriptures, which we call our Old Testament. God gave the people the priesthood. And from among the priests, he called Aaron who was Moses' brother, to serve as the first high priest. And Aaron, as the high priest, would go into the tabernacle, into the most holy place, the place where the glory of God was said to dwell on earth. He would go in and approach God and plead the people's case to represent them before him to seek reconciliation with God they had offended. And if this is the essential function of a priest to go in and represent the people, you may be thinking, well, why do we need a priest at all? Why do we actually need someone to go into God's presence on our behalf? And the the answer to that question, at least throughout most of human history, has been humans have had an awareness of our unworthiness to go into the presence of the divine. This has just been an assumption, a shared, taken-for-granted reality among humanity until just this recent past, to the point now that in American culture, we have a a view of God that acknowledges that He's loving. And of course, He is. But we've, we've made that the ultimate and perhaps even the only reality, and so it changes our entire approach to God. We apply this with an understanding that says, well, if God is loving, then of course we can go into his presence. Of course, just as we are, God accepts us right there, just as we are. We don't need a priest to go in on our behalf. God accepts you just the way you are. Well, is this true though? I mean, it sounds good. We like what it seems to say, but is it true? I think when we start considering our lives, we actually live with a sense that it's not actually true. When we take it out of the context of how we approach God and we just start thinking about life in general, about different situations, are there places or situations that you have a sense that you need to change something about yourself before you go into them? Just recently on, on December 2nd, President Biden hosted his first state dinner. He hosted the French President Emmanuel Macron and his, and his wife. And if you've paid any attention to state dinners over the years that have been hosted by our president, you know they are these elaborate, elegant, and expensive affairs, right? Military escorts, bands, and orchestras, literally the red carpet rolled out on the steps of the White House. This year, the the menu was caviar and butter poached Maine lobster and a calotte of beef. I don't even know what that is, but I'm sure it's amazing, (gasps) right? And it's served with a a shallot marmalade. I I didn't know you made marmalade out of shallot. I've only heard of oranges, right? But see, that's what these events entail. They're incredible, Right? All these state dinners are similar, rolling out that red carpet and pulling all the stops to host kings and queens and heads of state and dignitaries from around the world. Now, I got got a question. Were you invited? I mean, if so, let's talk. I want to know what a calotte of beef is. (laughs) But probably not, right? And how do you get invited to a state dinner? Well, you have to be a head of state or royalty. Or you better know somebody on the inside who can get you an invitation. And see, this is kind of what the priest does. He goes on the inside. He works things out with God to assure humanity, people, that we have an invitation to come to him. So that we can come into the party. (laughs) But see, it's not just enough to get an invitation, is it? Because consider this. If you did get an invitation to the state dinner, would you show up just the way you are right now? Yeah, yeah, no, right? I I wouldn't. (laughs) You'd make the news, but for all the wrong reasons, right? No, we have this sense within us. That certain places, certain people, certain situations require something of us. We need to change. We need to change our outward appearance to show up to a state. We need to change our cultural sensibilities so we wouldn't offend a guest. We know this in other situations in our lives. We know there's people's houses that if you were invited to, you'd go looking your best. You'd go bringing a gift. We know that there are certain situations where you can't use that kind of language. You know, the language you use at home. We know. We know that some people carry this, this expectation intensely when they consider coming into a church building. I don't know if you knew this, but Christmas Eve is coming. Yeah, I know. That's just in case you're not ready, Get start to get ready. But on Christmas Eve, you're probably aware that many people will join us in worship that night. Many who have not worshiped in quite some time. And they'll come in with different kinds of assumptions. Some will come in with the assumption that says, Of course, of course God loves me and accepts me. I can just come just as I am. Even if it has been a while. Others will come in, and they may not say it out loud... But they kind of come in, crouched a little bit lower, concerned that the roof might collapse on them or lightning might strike. And I know we laugh a little bit about that. And that may not be the exact thing that they're thinking of, but they're pretty confident that as they step into a place that represents the presence of God, God is disappointed with them, with the life that they're living The choices that they've made, the past that they can't undo, the things that are happening that they're doing today that they may not even want to stop doing. And they carry a clear sense that they have no business stepping into a church building because of the life that they've been living. See, we have a sense That going into certain places, certain situations, something needs to change about us. And this is the reality that the priest represents. That there's something wrong with people. That we can't just go into the presence of God Walk right into the tabernacle, into his temple, into the most holy place. Just waltz right in there the way we are because of the reality of our sinfulness before a perfect and almighty, majestic, glorious, holy, terrifying, wonderful God who is also a God of passionate love for his creation. But see, the high priest was allowed to go in to the presence of God once a year on the day of atonement that's what our earlier reading from Leviticus 16 was describing it's what Yom Kippur is around is is when you see and hear about that being celebrated here where Aaron the high priest would go in and make animal sacrifices for the people because of their sin But God was clear that even Aaron could not just come in whenever he wanted. He had to have an invitation. And he was allowed. He had an invitation to come once a year. And he couldn't, though, come just as he was, even though he was coming on behalf of the people. Something needed to change about him. But he couldn't change his own sinfulness. And so God graciously made a provision that Aaron could offer a bull as a sacrifice for his sins to atone for to reconcile him to God before he could go in and then offer sacrifices to reconcile the people to God, where he was seeking that reconciliation of the relationship between God and humanity. And see, the priest was just one of the people, called out from among them, but as one of the people, the priest could empathize with the people because of their own sinfulness, their own weakness. You know, Aaron knew his own sin. He knew his own weakness. This is why a sacrifice was demanded for him before he could go in. And see, at their best, this is what priests do for us. They empathize with. They they are with us and for us. They come from us and in humility, remember and empathize with us. Which allows them to go in and represent the people before God with a humility, a compassion, a tenderness. And in many ways, just like these high priests of generations, Jesus, he's just like them and is also distinct from them. He, was, he came from among the people. He was called out, chosen by God from among the people. This is what we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus, not just divine, not just glorious and on high, but born in the flesh, a human boy born among the people. To then grow and be chosen out from among the people by God as a priest to serve before him. A priest that understood the weakness and the sinfulness of the people. Did you see the incredible promise that that Jesus, though he's the high priest, in his full humanity was tempted in every way? Have you ever thought about that? How are you tempted? How are you tempted in your life? What are you tempted to do? What are you tempted to say? How are you tempted to despair, to reject God? See, and and Jesus was tempted in all of those ways. He wasn't tempted to do the exact same thing necessarily because Jesus didn't have the internet. Jesus didn't have guns. But he was tempted to react in his heart in the exact same way that we are tempted to react to lash out, to use his power for his own good, to seek self-interest rather than the interest of others. Jesus was tempted to gossip. Jesus was tempted to hold on to bitterness when others hurt him, to hold on to condemnation and look down on others. He was tempted to hurt others verbally and physically. He was tempted to reject God. Jesus was tempted in every way that you are tempted. (laughs) So next time you face temptation, just pause for a moment and remember him. Remember that you have a priest that knows exactly what you are experiencing. The difference, though, was he endured the temptation without sin. And he didn't just go into a temple or a tabernacle here on earth. Our passage reminded us that he ascended into heaven into the ultimate temple, the ultimate tabernacle, the ultimate place of God's dwelling, where it wasn't just a dwelling with a glimpse of his glory, it was all the fullness of his majesty and his glory on display all the time. And Jesus went in on your behalf to plead your case before the Father. This is what the ascension was all about. That he had offered himself. He died. He rose. He ascended into heaven where he now pleads your case before the Father praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. Is that not an encouragement? Whatever you're walking through today. our passage that we read this morning started with this, I think, somewhat overwhelming reality. It said that nothing is hidden from God's sight. (laughs) Nothing. Now, there's things that we can hide from others, aren't there? There's even things that we can kind of hide from ourselves, that we can convince ourselves or justify to ourselves that aren't really that big a deal. But all of those things will ultimately come out into the open. The passage said they will be exposed. They will be laid bare before the Father. <laughs> and even more than that, laid bare, and we will have to give an account for everything. There are, this may be hard for you to believe, but there were a number of times growing up that I got in trouble. I know, hard to believe. But there was this this one time that, that I was thinking about this week that in sixth grade, I was still in elementary school and, and so that was awesome because it meant I still had recess after lunch. And so every, every day after we'd leave the lunchroom and we had to walk all the way around the outside of the building to get to the playgrounds and the fields and on our way, we'd always pass the gym. And there was this window in the door of the gym, and so we'd always stop, and we'd look in to try to figure out, okay, what are we going to be playing today? What's, what's, the, what's going to happen? And I remember this one day where this, this girl and I were looking through the two windows, and we're seeing this, all this equipment, and we're debating back and forth what it's going to be, and she's totally wrong of what's going to happen. And in the midst of our arguing, I like lose my mind, and I start kicking her. I start kicking her in the back of her leg, and I leave this huge mark, and Of course, I was sent to the principal's office. And my mom was called. And then after school, I was sent home and wasn't allowed to do anything. All I could do was sit there because I had to wait till my dad got home when I was going to have to give him an account of what had happened that day to explain what I did, why I did it. I would be laid bare. And, of course, I was terrified, dreading that moment. And that moment is so small compared to the reality at the end of our days when we will come before the Father of heaven and earth and have everything exposed and laid bare before Him. Every thought, every word, every action, every desire, every inclination, spoken and unspoken. And we'll give an account. I'll tell you what, that this reality would be absolutely overwhelming and would crush me. It would convince me that, yes, I should be ducking my head every time I come through the doors of a church. It would crush me with shame, with guilt, with the overwhelming sense of my inadequacy and my unworthiness if it were not for the great high priest that is Jesus. Who goes and represents me before the Father who with prayers and petitions and gifts has pleaded my case and has offered not just a sacrifice once a year as if temporarily I'd have this stay of execution, but instead offered himself as a perfect and eternal sacrifice. A sacrifice that was great enough to eliminate every sin of my entire life, past, present, and future, and yours, and the sins of the world throughout all history. Because his sacrifice was not of an animal, but of his own perfect life. Perfected, we were told in our passage, through suffering. (laughs) That Jesus learned obedience, and through his obedience was made a perfect sacrifice. Now, don't hear what it's not saying. It's not saying that somehow Jesus was morally deficient, or that somehow Jesus was disobedient. What it's saying is that there was not complete and perfect obedience until there was temptation that was complete for disobedience. You know, it's easy to say that, oh, no, no, I won't steal. You know, I don't, I don't do that. Well, it's easy to, to say that when things are going okay. But what about when you're desperate? What about the sto- Aladdin's story and he's starving and feels the need to steal bread have you been in that situation? And have you been in the situation where it's easy, where nobody would even see, you could just do it, and there would, nobody would know, you're not hurting anybody? See, it was easy for Jesus. Because at that moment, as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he's going to be executed, crying out to the Father with tears and blood for sweat, praying to the only one who could save him, Saying, Father, I don't want to do this. If we can reconcile the people any other way than me having to die, let's do that. And at that moment, he could have called down a legion of angels and wiped out his enemies and established his kingdom right there on earth, and he would have been justified. It would have been easy. But instead, in that moment, he learned obedience. Because he was tempted, finally, completely to be disobedient. And rather than choosing disobedience, he chose submission. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my self-interest, not my desire, not my ease, not my comfort, but Father, your plan and your will to reconcile these people who I stand before you on their behalf. And so he offered himself instead as a perfect and perfected sacrifice so that though you will be laid bare and I will be exposed before the Father, we need not fear. For the one who has the right to condemn you is also the one who chose obedience and submission and to offer himself as a perfect sacrifice on your behalf to eradicate your sin and your shame, to remove your guilt. And he stands before the Father day after day after day as your great high priest pleading your case on your behalf. And because of him, you're invited now to approach the Father. The invitation has been extended Not to come as, you know, a groveling worm saying, God, I'm so unworthy, I'm so unworthy. But the passage told us to approach the throne of grace with confidence that access to the Father is yours, that he wants you, he wants to hear from you, he wants to be with you. Do you approach the Father that way? (laughs) Is your prayer life filled with an eagerness and a passion and a confidence and a boldness to boldly approach the throne of grace? If not, if your prayer life is kind of weak like mine is at times, then in those moments, I'm not relying any longer on the great high priest to give me access to the Father. I'm relying on myself and my worthiness and deep within me, I know, I understand that I am in fact unworthy. and I don't have what it takes To get the invitation. I don't have what it takes to clean myself up, to change myself adequately, to be worthy of being in His presence, but I can, and you can have a confidence when you approach God. Because you have a great high priest who made the ultimate sacrifice of His life for yours. Who's coming for Christmas? The priest is coming, who stands before the Father on your behalf with your best interest in mind. And if you wonder if he's got your best interest in mind, remember that he offered himself as the perfect sacrifice so that you are invited to come to the Father and you are made clean. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us the gift of a great high priest because you are the glorious and holy and perfect one. And left to ourselves, we are not worthy. What a a gift, what an amazing miracle that you sent your son to make a way, to open the doors, to approach you with confidence and boldness, with an expectation not of condemnation, but an expectation of being received, of truly experiencing acceptance, not because you somehow ignore what's going on in our lives, but because you have taken it and eradicated it through the sacrifice of your Son. Lord God, thank you that we can have a confidence that those things will never come back to us, but we can come into your presence with joy, with gratitude, with love, with awe. Lord, help us to approach your throne of grace with confidence. In Jesus' name, amen.